Well, welcome back, everybody. It's been almost a whole month since I've done a podcast. Today is Sunday morning, October 22nd. My last one was on the 23rd. And I'm not 100% sure why. I sort of lost my motivation a bit. Um, And I didn't have a ton of stuff that sort of interested me. And a little bit lazy. And I also blame football season because it keeps me busy. But uh, I'll give it a shot. This is number 58, I believe. Sort of losing track. I might even... I might be one over or one under. But let's just get to it. So this morning and last night, I'm trying to get ready for this and get my laptops together. And I cannot find a mouse pad anywhere. And I started thinking, does anybody have mouse pads anymore? Like, can you buy them? We don't have one in the single house. We've got multiple laptops, but I couldn't find a mouse pad. So I'm currently using a piece of cardboard from a Red Bear and frozen pizza. And it actually works. Molly Googled it for me. The cardboard works. So if you ever need a mouse pad, just find a piece of cardboard, except it slides around a little bit. Um, But we do what we need to do. So let's get to the sort of nuts and bolts, the rando stuff. Uh, I wanted to start with something I just thought was cool. I drop my kids off every day at school. And I've seen, and I saw it this week, it was Monday or Tuesday morning, the principal of the school is outside at the main entrance at parent drop-off and bus drop-off. High energy, giving kids high fives and fist bumps and talking to people and walking to cars and saying hello to parents. And what got me was this guy's doing this at 7.30 in the morning to teenagers who clearly don't want to be involved in high fives and fist bumps and early morning energetic conversations, but he still did it anyway. He looked like he enjoyed it. Super confident, totally willing to embarrass himself to be able to do things like that. When you know that the people around you are not interested in participating, I think is admirable. And hopefully I can bring some of that, when I'm coaching for players who maybe are having rough days or aren't that type of person or need a little motivation. But it just got me thinking that where I currently work, I'm surrounded by people who would be doing that because of that high energy. And I am not that person. In most cases, I, I'm like my kids were. they are trying to dodge and weave and get away from that. And I would be the same way. But I just thought it was cool that someone still has that that energy and confidence and motivation at that time of the day with people who probably aren't super fired up about giving their principal a high five on the walk into school on a Monday morning. So thought it was, I thought it was a neat thing that there's still, um, still some really motivated people in that education world, I suppose. My, uh, been watching some TV. That's probably why I'm haven't done podcasts recently. So I watched, finally, Netflix came out and put on a Band of Brothers and the Pacific. And so I finished Band of Brothers and I'm about halfway through the Pacific. Band of Brothers, I think, is 20 years old, but everybody's always told me it's the best World War II history documentary movie 
ever. And I agree. It's awesome. If you haven't seen it, watch it. For me, somebody who doesn't know a ton about that time and how it actually happened, it's amazing. And what those soldiers went through across the world is pretty incredible. But check it out. If you don't, if you feel like you know a little bit about history, but you want to know some more, these, these two are really good. I'd highly check it out. And I totally realize you're probably making fun of me because these are so old, but even though they're old, they still hold up and are really, really well done. So check those out. I watched them because I was interested, but I never had HBO because I'm a cheapskate. And in my life, I've never paid for HBO. And so now Netflix gives us that option. But I highly recommend them. Um, so another thing, I'm just the usual going down my list. I do have some tennis and pickleball stuff. I was invited recently via email because I'm important to join the AARP. And I got this email that it was time to join up. So most of you know I turned 50 in April coming up. I'm about six or seven months out. That's cool. No issue with that. But I'm looking at the AARP. They got some awesome deals. Discounts on rental cars and hotels and food and probably socks. Probably everything. So I'm going to join up. So if any of you are AARP members, I'm looking for some advice on how I should use that. Do I get a membership card that I can flash to people when I go places and go shopping to show them that I'm officially a member of the club? But I'm not... I didn't freak me out. I was kind of like, "Cool, let's let's do this." I'm going to take advantage of of my age group, and um, we use use Costco for some travel stuff and great on rental cars and hotels. So I'm wondering if AARP is any better. And if you'd like to start a club with me, we can get together once a week and have coffee at Denny's and talk about our discounted purchases we made and. I also have a new business idea. If you've hung out with me enough, you know that I have a whole lot of rando business ideas. This one is, here's my issue. I have, I guess I'm extremely, I don't know the word, right-footed. So if you look at my tennis shoes, my right shoe is always worn down near the, the top left by the big toe, right? They're destroyed. Smooth flat holes in them all that stuff my left shoes look absolutely perfect they look brand new i don't think i maybe i don't touch the ground with my left foot but they're brand new so i hate buying shoes because i only need one i wish i could just buy a right foot a right shoe so i got a business idea my friend julie is going to be a partner with me um so here's what I want it to be. I want to be some sort of app, website, service where you can go and only buy the one shoe you need. I would just need right shoes. I could get I could get months out of my left shoes, but I'm about to toss a whole bunch of pairs because my right shoe's messed up. So you go on, you search your brand of shoe, like I wear K-Swiss. You find the model, the color, the size, everything, and you just choose whether you need the right or you need the left, and you order that shoe. So it would be cheaper for two reasons. You're buying one shoe, and it's it's used, which I don't know if that's gross or not. It's not to me. 
but I could get so much more work out of my shoes if I could just buy a right shoe. And we searched a little bit, and there is a shoe swapping app already, but it doesn't allow for one or the other. So my idea is sort of a like a StubHub, one of those like those ticket brokers where I buy Colts tickets. I, StubHub doesn't, from what I understand, they don't own any tickets. All they are are a marketplace for tickets. So I could post, I've got, maybe I want to sell my left shoes. I could post, I've got six 11.5 K-Swiss um, shoes in black, selling them for six bucks a piece. And somebody buys my left shoes, or I'm buying the right shoe. And that's my business. So if you're in, let me know. I'm taking um, investments in two ways. Money, you can send me money. That'll be great. Or you can tell me you want to send me your shoes. Or if anybody has the right shoe, it's a black K-Swiss 11 and a half. I don't actually know the model, but I'll find out. But that's my business idea. I think it'd be amazing. Also, it's not just for wearing them down. What if you um, get stuck in the mud and your shoe comes off and you can't get it, you can't get it out? So you've got one good shoe. You could go on, get the other. One gets damaged, one gets whatever, and you don't want to pay for both. You can purchase one shoe. Let me know what you think because I think it's an amazing, amazing idea. And sort of lastly with the nuts and bolts of things, if you're around here in Wisconsin, which most of my six listeners are, it was finally announced yesterday or Friday that we're, we're getting an indoor pickleball club, standalone, no tennis. It's a franchise out of Arizona called Pickleball Kingdom. It's going to be in Brookfield in an old closed pick and save um, in the Ruby Isle Shopping Center near Elm Grove, Brookfield High Schools, that area. And it's going to be all indoor pickleball, locker room, Pro Shop, that whole thing. It's the first first one I know of in Wisconsin, definitely around here, that is going to happen. Um, they have not put out a, a date of starting construction or opening, but it's coming. I think it's going to change pickleball here forever. So the clubs who are maybe been half-heartedly going about pickleball or not investing in that area are probably going to lose players. I don't know if they'll lose members because those many clubs have the pickleball and they have the fitness and group fitness and all the other amenities. This sounds like it's just going to be the courts and locker rooms and social areas without the fitness part, but I, I, I could be wrong. I don't know, but they have been successful out West and I think we're going to find out if the local pickleball community is willing to pay because for so long, the knock on pickleball is they're cheap. It's still true. They went from free to donations to put a dollar in the bucket to lots of complaining to indoor clubs about how much it costs when it costs a fraction of what tennis was. And now they're about to, they're about to get hit with full blast membership costs, court fees, lesson costs and I'm I'm really curious and I think it I think it'll probably work and I'm wondering if there's room for a second if that works but check that out you can find articles all over um, Facebook local news all those places but pretty interesting to watch the 
the path of that and how that changes how other clubs around here do do their business. Along with the business stuff, I have been listening and watching a lot of videos lately about just general professionalism and leadership and teams and those types of things through through a, a an option we have at the WAC and I just got some things that interested me and some some relate to tennis a bit. One of them was about um, delegating, and that's something I have been probably very weak at in my career. I think mostly because everywhere I've gone after my first jobs, I was the only one. I was in charge. So in, in Indiana, I moved to Warsaw, Indiana, my first director's job. I was the only one. I was the only full-time staff. I was pretty much in charge of everything. I came to Wisconsin, took over Moreland, and, and although I worked for Western Racquet Club, that building was mine. I was the tennis pro and part-time maintenance guy, and you name it, everything was mine. There were no other full-timers, so I got used to making those decisions, doing everything myself. The Village Club, same thing. I was in charge of all of that, so I did it all myself, and if I wanted stuff done, I got used to doing it alone. So I've I've been poor at the delegating part. But anyway, this this person doing the presentation says that if to delegate something, that the person you're delegating it to must be able to do it at seventy percent of what you could complete the task at seventy percent. I thought. That's not enough for me. If I if I have a job to do and I'm going to pass it on to Ben and I can do it at 100% and I know he's only going to do it at 70, I don't know if I could do that. To me, that's not a very, that number seems super low. So I brought it up to others and others sort of said it just depends on are you trying to grow that person? Are they trying to get better? Do you want them to learn and are willing to have a little bit lower quality? And I guess that's true. In my case, I generally just would be like, heck no, 70% is not good enough. So on a tennis court, I have it every day in groups. Um, a net player will pass on taking a, a sort of a high degree of difficult overhead or a high volley, and they'll pass it on to the deep player. And... That deep player ends up having to switch, chasing something, crashing into the wall, falling down, a weak backhand in the corner. And I usually tell them, listen, if you're the net player, you got first option. Take a swing at it because your your weak overhead attempt is better than their weak running, chasing, diving attempt. So I'd rather someone hit a weak overhead because that's still an offensive shot. It still keeps you at the net less time for them to prepare versus passing it on. I don't know what the number is, but I could, you know, I'm going to tell my net player it's got to be, they've got to be 90% better than you to let that ball go if you think you've got to swing at it, right? Because it's all the time. It's, I didn't think I could get it, so I passed it on to my partner and I have to tell them, well, did you see the situation your partner was in? They were worse than you, and you just made them, you just put them in a terrible spot when you had a chance to get it. 
So that 70% delegating, I don't know, that, that's, that would be tough for me. But on a tennis court, I'm thinking don't delegate. Ball goes up in the air and I'm closest to it. I'm going to go get it. Even if I know my partner can chase it, they're chasing it where I have a chance to be offensive. So think about what your, what your delegation number is. Do you want to pass that on to them knowing that, yes, they may get it back, but it's still going to be weak? When you have a chance to get a weak shot that still has some bit of offense to it and controlling of that point. I just thought it was kind of an interesting way to think about it, what percentage and when to pass it on. So I'm going to practice delegating better in my my world. Another one was, uh, it was another, you know, an online recorded seminar I was listening to and it talked about not taking your phones to meetings with you and I realized every time I go to meet with somebody even if it's a short meeting or a long meeting or important or with GMs and owners and other managers or people outside of the club my phone is always sitting in front of me they talked about don't take your phone take paper take a legal pad Take something like that because it forces you to, one, not be distracted. It looks more professional. You're less likely to pick that phone up. But writing, actually writing something can stick in your head a little bit better. Gives you a place to take notes versus I've had it in meetings before where I will say, hey, I'm not texting. I'm, I'm putting in my notes. And so I've had, I've had several, probably for a couple of weeks, I'm no longer taking my phone to them. I'll challenge you guys to try it. It's... I found it difficult at first because there's some things when you're discussing things that, hey, I can jump on my phone and find you that answer. But I think the disadvantage for me is distraction. Sometimes you can hear it buzzing or you know it lights up if it's not upside down. And it's just a very simple thing that I think you can do to engage in those conversations better. If you have a lot of meetings, which I do, we have a lot. Um, And then lastly with that, one of the best ones I heard was a discussion about what is your hallway reputation. It was about customer service and how your members, your team, people around you perceive you. And it was all about the hallway reputation. Who are you in the hallway? Are you head down in your phone? Are you friendly? Do you look up? Eye contact? Do you have your name tag on? Your uniform? What do people say about you as you walk past them in the hallway? I would also add lobby reputation any public space when you're working whether it's tennis or any other work and i just think it's a really cool way to think about how do people how would people talk about you if they had to describe your hallway reputation and i'm trying to get better at being engaged and saying hello and all those types of things Um, but what's yours and your line of work is that important some of you may just be sitting in an office or doing something that is not people-based all day long and it might not matter. In my world, it's all there is is your reputation and those relationships. And I just thought it was interesting, like most things. So some of this leads to my my tennis stuff and how I coach. I was on the court last couple weeks. I just wrote down some things I heard from other coaches, and these are not wrong. I am not making fun of anyone. They're all smarter than me. But I heard some things. I heard a coach repeatedly use the word angularity over and over. Great word, I guess. I have no idea what it means. 
but it was it was a big part of this lesson. Angularity. Micro steps, which I kind of like. I'd never heard it before. I'm assuming that means taking smaller adjustment steps, so I'll probably steal that one. I also heard angle of reflection is what I think I overheard. All these things that I've never said in my life until just now, especially on a tennis court. I wouldn't know what that... I don't know what angularity means. I'm assuming it has something to do with maybe the angle of your racket or your body or your feet or something. But it just got me thinking about the, all the different styles of coaches and, and how mine is different than the next person and theirs is different than mine. And none of them necessarily are wrong. We just do different things. And then how do players... Most of my players, I don't think, would understand me if I started talking to them about the their angularity or the angle of reflection they would crack up it's not it's not how i do it so i had a couple groups in the last weeks i started sort of keeping track of things i said and mine go like this portillos turds and <laughs> yep and marshmallows those were my things that i had in in lessons over the past week so the portillos and turds that might maybe the title of this i title these after so that might be what i have to title it it was a player who can hit amazing shots i play a point and just boom flamethrower hit a corner amazing the crowd goes wild shots and then the next six shots are turds so we had this conversation and i said this is like in one one hand, you give me my favorite, current favorite dessert on earth, chocolate cake from Portillo's, and you hand me a big piece of chocolate cake. And then the next second, I put out my other hand, and you drop a turd. <laughs> Sorry, it's so dumb. You drop a turd in my hand, and I'm confused. Now I don't want either, right? And it's trying to get that point across of, hey, you've got to give me more Portillo's or... Neither one. Give me something average that's not so bad and not so great. It can't be up and down like that. So that was one of the lessons that I came up with was Portillo's or turds. I don't need either. You can give me, like I said, give me neutral. Give me an average. What would what would neutral be? Maybe uh, uh, just a plain chocolate chip cookie right down the middle. All right, something, something like that, a vanilla cone instead of such changes and uh extreme changes in quality there and then the other one same player talking about similar things and somehow i came up and i i may have uh, this may exist already but we started talking about marshmallows because this player can take an, an average shot easily makeable Basically, the points over already did the work and destroy it by turning it into something else. So I start talking about, you ever put a marshmallow in the microwave? If you have, you know that it expands real big and then it explodes or melts. It just makes a mess. You got a mess to clean up, right? It's going to melt all over the plate or the blow up all over the microwave when you could have easily just eaten the marshmallow, kept it as it was, it's still good. 
you didn't need to you didn't need to blow it up and so I'm go back to hearing other coaches and all these fancy things they're saying and I'm talking about portillos turds and marshmallows and I always question man do I even know what I'm doing am I good enough to do this because I hear all these fancy words and I have to get better at not questioning that because it's just who I am now. I'm like I said, I'm almost I'm I'm gonna be an AARP member. I can do whatever I want, right? That gives me a free pass. But for you as students, if you're listening to this, find the coaches that you can understand that fit you. I've mentioned before I've had players that are engineers and scientists, and I currently have a physics teacher, and I'd say we struggle a bit. Uh, just because I don't I don't speak that language, but if you're a player, find someone that speaks your language. Find someone that can get get it across to you. Um, I recently had a lesson. I started a lesson with my friend Chris, um, who does amazing work at the WAC. She wanted to learn how to play tennis a little bit. Found out she plays basketball. Second lesson, I bring a basketball, and we we use that as the way to for better footwork and how to prepare and movement around the court and taking. Micro steps. See, I just uh, I just used that. I am going to steal that one. But find the coach that can find the way for you. And if you can't find that person, look again. All right. Ask. I challenge you. Tell your coach if you're struggling with those. Say, listen, I don't, I don't think we're on the same page. Is there someone that speaks a different language, talks a little bit differently? It's not because I'm mad or think you're wrong. I just I'm just not getting it. But don't come to me because I'll I'll talk about turds. Um, I did some of this comes into my recent posts. So if you're on any other social media, I have tried. I think it's one of the reasons maybe I didn't do a podcast in the last month is because I was trying to post a bit more short videos so I can get my sort of just get my thoughts out quicker. So if you're on Instagram or Facebook or even TikTok now, you can find me there. Scott fixed tennis on all of them, and there's some short things, and I kind of elaborate them with on them here. Um, a couple of them, I, I did one a few weeks ago about worst postseason losses because we're sort of getting into postseason. I watched some baseball, and um, that's a big deal. And I mentioned my my worst one ever, high school senior year. I think we're the one seed undefeated with my partner and longtime friend. Spencer and we were five all third set against North Central, who has always been the greatest in tennis there, North Central and Carmel. And we're a small school. Southern Indiana were not really part of that crowd, but we were good. Undefeated, five all, add out, I'm serving. Believe it or not, I had a good serve back then. Big kick serve and second serve. And I went huge. I went for my big spinny. I wanted to bounce over this dude's head. Swung as fast as I know how, the same way I'd done it forever. And I framed it off my racket into the lights. And I can still see it and hear it banging around the ceiling. And that was it. Broke my serve. They held over. High school career over. And it was it was crushing. I've talked about it before here. Um, but I think, too, my my that's probably one... That's probably the only, honestly, the only match I can remember of losing. I don't remember a lot of wins. I, I have a couple in my head I can remember. But what I remember is my teammates and the travel and the bus trips and the 
screwing around between matches and supporting my teammates and all the dumb stuff we did. So if you struggle with hanging on to bad losses, none of them are that bad. There's not a loss that is going to change your life. It hurts badly, and I will not forget that loss. But I did it right. I went for the shot. So as you're playing, if you get struggled, if you're struggling and you really, you can't, you can't drop a match, just try to think about, hey man, I, I missed, I missed that, lost that match, but look what tennis has done. There's so much more good stuff and I've got, although I don't hang out with my teammates much anymore, I know I can call them tomorrow. Right, We've got stories to tell, and those are the things I remember. So keep it in perspective that losing a match or a game at your club is nothing. Nobody cares. When you get home to your family or work or whatever you do, nobody cares. So it shouldn't be, shouldn't be that big a deal to you. I mean, I'm totally over it, even though I tell that story all the time. My most recent one was because I posted about what what things you shouldn't say to your coach and not really a top five or a list, just things that have been said to me. Cause I had one recently where it was the classic, no one's hitting me the ball. No one's playing to me. I'm not playing enough. And I told this person, it's not my fault. It's not their fault. Their job is to keep it away from you. It's your fault. Get the, get the ball. I did one of my first podcasts was called get the freaking ball. And I just started thinking about things that, man, have annoyed me or bothered me on the court where maybe I, uh, I I needed to walk away. But a couple of them were, and I wanted to mention some that others chimed in on. Um, I'm just here for the exercise. Drives me nuts. I get it. Just don't tell me. Because if, if it's a good coach, their job is not a personal trainer. They're to coach you to be a better tennis player. I don't have skill in personal training, so getting some exercise just makes most coaches think you just need a ball feeder. You could hire someone for $4 an hour to fling balls around the court and be quiet. That's not what we do. With that, I've had other people tell me, that's our job. You do what they tell you to do. I don't agree. I sort of understand where they're coming from, that we signed up for it and we have to deal with a lot of people. I sort of am okay with it if they tell me up front. I can work around that. But why waste your money on a tennis court when it affects, say, three, four, or five other people on the court? They want to learn and you don't. This would never happen. I would never do that. I don't like either one of those. Yes, it will happen. Everything will happen. There's there's not a lot of coaches you are going to find things in a drill that will absolutely never show up. It's just not true. Everything shows up. It's tennis. It's. I tell everybody, I didn't invent tennis. I just put you in situations and see if we can prove a little bit. But yes, it will happen. If your coach chose a certain drill or skill or strategy, they chose it because it will happen. So when you tell them it won't happen, they're, they're not probably not going to give you a whole lot the rest of the time. Uh, I would never do that. Yes, you would. The reason, again, good coaches choose choose our exercises and the instruction based on what they see you do. So if we've chosen something, generally it's because, yes, you do that. Also, the word never, can't stand it. Um, 
I hear the other one is always. This always happens. No, it doesn't. I had it this week. Someone got beat down the line once. They told me, well, she always does that. Every time. No, they don't. They've done it once. And then, you know, 10 balls later that all went cross court. Really? I was asked, is it really always? One time. So try to limit how often you you say those things. Can't never always. I've mentioned it before. I played college tennis. Our coach, Ron Albers, the famer. If we use those three words, can't, never, or always, he had a special trash can at the end of the indoor court for the team. And I would run so much that that trash can would be visited by us if I used those words. Because it's just not true. Never is. That would never happen, really. Yes, it would. Um, Last one came up, too, and, and this I thought of way later, is... When someone tells me, let's say a lob or a ball, a difficult ball, they let it go. They don't chase it. And they here's what they say, and you've probably all said this. I would have chased that if we were playing a match. I would have gotten it if we were playing a match. No, you wouldn't, because if you're not willing to get it in a practice, you're not going to be able to chase it in a match, because you are not prepared. You're training your brain to not work hard. You're You're picking your importance. So I would I would have chased it in a match. I never believe anybody. Maybe you chase it, but you're not going to get it because you have no experience, no history of actually doing it. You think you can automatically flip that switch and you can run now, but you couldn't run in the practice. So don't say that to a coach. Just chase it. What's the harm you came for, especially if you just came for exercise? And And then sort of lastly, on the tennis side, did an exercise this week with a player who was struggling to play with a purpose. This is a single situation, struggling to play with a purpose of building points. Good hitter can hit a ball as good as anybody, but really has no idea where, why, how. And this has been a long-term struggle for this player. So before we even started, I brought some pieces of paper out. I made him draw Tennis court, first page, drew a court, and took a Sharpie out, clipboard, we sat, and then I made him draw up a play. So we started with, just put an X where you're going to serve, which side, where you're going to serve. So puts an X out wide. Then I say, all right, put an X where you're going to hit your next ball, where you're going to go. So it goes cross court. All right, where's the third ball? Well, I'm going to come in and volley to the open court. All right, that's play number one. So we put a big number one on it. New sheet of paper, draw a tennis court. Where are you serving from? Where do you want it to go? What's your next shot? What's the shot after that? How does this end? Great, put a number two on it. And again, we drew, we ended up doing three plays. And each one drew a court. So you can kind of see and map out what your what your brain looks like and what you want it to do. I think it's a really great exercise for anybody who's struggling. It's probably a little easier in singles than doubles just because you don't have to worry about, all right, well, what's my partner doing? But it's doable for sure. But if you struggle playing well but not having a, a purpose or a plan, draw a tennis court and start marking it up. Make a playbook like you would 
any other sport, football, basketball, they they can choose. They're not like in about an hour. The mighty Indianapolis Colts, the 2006 Super Bowl champions, are going to take on the Browns. And I don't think they're just going to walk the team out, flip the coin, and the coach is going to say, all right, go get them, boys. It's not. the you've, You all watch it. They have these sheets of plays, these, those laminated. Every coach has one for every situation, right? First and ten, second, every, everything, every down and distance, time, it's all accounted for. It's not like they're making stuff up on the fly. Sometimes the players do once they get out there and the play starts. But that's, it's similar to your tennis. Have a, have a playbook. I think every player should have a notebook, a binder in their tennis bag with plays. And if you're struggling, you flip it open. Find one you like. Right? So if I was playing, mine might be, um, Let's say I'm hitting with Jonathan. I'm going to go three, four, high, topspin, deep to the backhand till I get him pushed off. Then I'm flinging a cross-court forehand. Or I'm going to attack, right? Or go behind him. There's three different plays just off of that, right? Get a few of those. Starts leaning to the backhand. I'm going to pound the forehand, right? Get him in that corner, drop shot. Whatever, have some plays. Don't play random. Play with a purpose. Every swing has a purpose. And keep in mind, it's not going to work. Right? You've got to be flexible with that. I might start the point with a perfect plan, and then my opponent does something to throw that off. I sort of compare that to a baseball pitcher. They've got an idea of how they want to attack each hitter. We're going to go fastball, fastball, curve. Whatever it is, we're going to go three sliders, get them used to that, and we're going to blow one by him with flames on him. But in the middle of that at bat, oh, I messed up. I got behind in the count. It's 2-0. and I got to change, right? Or crap, I, I did my plan. I had two strikes. I went for the fastball, and they fouled it off. Start over. What's my next plan? So during the point, it might change. I might go that plan three deep backhands, and then they take one on the rise and Blast one down the line or lob it back. I hate high balls. They hit me a high ball. My plan starts over. And I think drawing this out and actually visually seeing it is super important. And I would recommend all of you get yourself some paper, get a Sharpie, learn how to draw a tennis court, and start mapping out what your what your plans might be. Because um, I think it's, it's super valuable. Um. That's all I got. I'm looking at my list. It's not much. Maybe this will be my last one ever. Oh, if you want, I do. I'm, you can go on YouTube and watch these as well if you prefer to watch. Uh, I'm sitting in Annie's old room, but I'm trying to mess around with the YouTube world too. Obviously, you can follow Instagram, Facebook, all those things. You can find this podcast wherever. All the, all the usual places. And if you ever got any cool topics for me, let me know. I'm always looking and I will, uh, I think that's it. So thanks everybody. And I'll be back. Uh, I guess whenever I'm motivated to do it again. Thanks. Go Colts. See y'all.